Welcome to the High Volume Hiring Podcast. I'm Stephen Rothberg, the founder of College Recruiter Job Search Site. At College Recruiter, we believe that every student and recent graduate deserves a great career. This podcast features news, tips, case studies, and interviews with the world's leading experts about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to high volume hiring. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest is Kevin Wheeler, founder of the Future of Talent Institute, a consortium of organizations and individuals who explore emerging issues in talent management, staffing, recruiting, employee development, retention, and leadership development. Its members comprise a wide range of sizes, industries, and locations. Kevin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Steve. Great to be here. So, Future of Talent Institute. What did I miss? Where did it start? It started about 20 years ago when I left the corporate world uh, and decided that uh, we needed to have a more future look at what was going on in the spa- in the talent space. Started to put it together with a couple of other people, and it's gone from there. It's just sort of grown organically, I guess you could call it. Uh, there's been quite a lot of interest in it, and obviously, everybody wants to understand the future and what the trends are. And that's what we try to focus on. And the employers that are members, do they tend to be large, like thousands of employees, tens of thousands of employees, smaller? What, what, what does a typical member kind of look like? They're, they're mostly larger firms. I guess I would say that they have enough hiring volume that it makes sense for them to be thinking a lot about talent. You know, if you're only hiring one or two people, it's not really a major focus area. And smaller companies are typically hiring very locally or smaller numbers of people, which means that their focus is not really into, you know, what's the future trends and am I going to go out of business without having people? Uh, But if you're a big company, if you're, you know, a global company, those are big issues for you. So that's why the audience tends to be the larger firm. So what I'm hearing is when they're larger, they can also pay much larger fees. And then that allows you to buy much nicer bottles of wine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I um, love good bottles so, of wine. <laughs> there are just, there's so few. There's, when, when, when you're in that geographic area, there's, there's a massive shortage. Uh, I, I don't know if those two things are connected. but uh, <laughs> So my, my understanding from some of our previous conversations is that you've done a lot of consulting work in uh, countries all over the world, um, for example, in Australia. And for firms that are employers that hire uh, thousands of hourly workers, how do the tools and tactics used by those organizations differ from other an otherwise similar organization that just might be in, located in the U.S. So like you know, what what does the the country difference make? I, I honestly don't think there is a huge difference country to country. The tools and the tactics are pretty much the same. There's there's local variations to some degree. Uh, you know, in a place like Australia, um, you're mainly going to be hiring what I would call regionally locally. Uh, so. Uh, you know, you're, if you're in Western Australia in the mining industry, probably 90% of your employees are going to come from Western Australia. Um, they might fly a few in from other places, but uh, it's more common to have a, a more local pool of labor, which is a problem because that population isn't big. Uh, so if there's a boom, that's a real challenge for them in those areas. 
so in the U.S. and all, we tend to be, um, we have a much larger population to tap into. Uh, it's more dispersed. Uh, and people are more willing to lo- relocate and move, which makes it easier in a way, um, historically at least. In a lot of the other countries in the world, movement is not, uh, is not doesn't happen. Okay, people don't just pick up and relocate to Switzerland from Germany, let's say, uh, or from the Netherlands to to Germany. Um, it's much less like they do, but on a much much smaller scale. Um, so other than immigration, where you have large numbers of refugees or people coming from economically depressed areas, you know, other than that, it's uh, people don't move. I'm really glad that you use as a couple of examples countries that are in the EU. Um, we're, we're both old enough to remember the days before the EU. Yeah, for sure. And one of the great promises of the EU or threats, depending upon your vantage point, was that mobility of labor. I, I remember when that discussion was happening, there was, there was so much talk about people in Spain moving to Sweden. And like you say, it, it happens, but it's really not much of a factor. I, I hardly ever hear an employer talking about, you know, oh, we're opening up this new facility and we're going to start running a bunch of ads in Madrid because people are going to like pack up their families and and move across the continent. It's just, it seems very rare, right? Like it, it's more like maybe an executive might move and like you say, a refugee, or maybe you've met a spouse in, in university, but, but you don't see mass migration of labor uh, in the EU. No, you do not see it. Uh, the only mass migration that's really happened recently has been a lot of Polish people have moved to the UK, for example. Uh, so this groups like that. But again, it's been economic circumstances. Opportunities are available. So uh, they have voluntarily decided to move, uh, often without any job opportunity, uh, looking for one when they get there. But, you know, to, like you said, nobody's opening a factory and saying, let's hire, you know, a, a thousand people from Poland to work in our factory, right? That doesn't happen. Yeah, if Amazon opens up a big new facility in Ghent, they know that they're not going to be able to staff it with a thousand people from Portugal. No, uh, they absolutely. might have three, yeah. <laughs> but they're not right. going to get. Yeah. Very yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, the job market in, in say a um, couple of other areas, um, Southeast Asia, Europe, um, do you, in, in talking with members of the Institute or just your other travels research, do you think that the organizations that do that high volume hiring, hiring at scale, are they doing more or less of that than they were, say, a year ago? Starting to do less. Uh, I was just on the phone with some people in Singapore yesterday uh, chatting. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Grab, but Grab is the equivalent of Instacart, Uber, uh, Lyft, uh, it's sort of all of those combined. Uh, it's very large. It's in all of Southeast Asia, uh, every Southeast Asian country, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Australia, I mean, not Australia, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam. Uh, and they recently purchased Uber. So they have the Southeast Asian uh, Uber. They bought the rights of Uber for Southeast Asia. So they, they obviously are. They do a lot of um, uh, delivering food. And during the pandemic, that was huge. 
And I think what's going on everywhere with the high volume recruiting, especially in the food delivery services, is it's going down. Hiring is going down because people are back out to restaurants and and buying their own food. And so deliveries are going down and therefore that kind of mass hiring has gone down. Um, it's quite interesting, but you know, like, um, Uber is now making more money from ride, ride rides than they were from food, which was exactly the flip of a year ago when they were making more money from food than they were from giving people rides. And I think that's happening everywhere. So, uh, and talking to my friend, he said, they're just starting to, you know, decrease their volume hiring. So I think we're seeing that around the world. A lot of the volume hiring in the last two years was pandemic driven. And I think we're seeing industries where the pandemic delivery, like Amazon just recently said they vastly overhired. Uh, and they're trying to figure out what to do with the thousands of people they really uh, shouldn't have hired, right? Uh, and this is happening in lots of places. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Speaking of, of Amazon, it's a, probably a really great example because they just they, they are so huge. They hire so many people. I mean, you talk about you know the poster child for high volume hiring. There aren't that many organizations that do more um, or do it better. You know, and certainly there are areas that they're always striving to improve upon. And you know, people might disagree with certain labor practices or whatever it is, but the fact remains they have hired more people faster than almost any organization ever. And, uh, and they've really revolutionized through automation, how they do that. Like when was the last time you ever heard about an employer saying, Oh yeah, you know, and I'm just making up this number to an extent, but you know, 96% of the people who work for us never had an interview. I mean, that's just that you, you know, that that's just like, what, how do you not interview people? But they, they figured out, for those roles, we don't need to we don't need go to. through our online system and here's an offer and here's your start date. Um, and oh, by the way, you'll figure out who your manager is after you arrive. Um, but the when I saw the headline, Kevin, for the for Amazon saying that they had vastly overhired, and I think it was something like 99,000 employees. Uh, so it's not not trivial. Not trivial. <laughs> I, yeah. I My initial thought was, okay, they overhired for head office. And so I was thinking this is maybe this is probably similar to some of the stories we've been hearing from tech companies where they hired every engineer they possibly could because they knew that some of them weren't going to work out. And if they tried to figure out ahead of 
hiring which ones were going to be good and which ones were going to be bad, they would be left with none. And so the better strategy was hire a whole bunch and then get rid of the ones that don't end up working out, which was sort of brilliant and evil all at the same time. <laughs> um, but Amazon, it when I read, as soon as I got into the article, it's like, no, this wasn't just about head office. This was also about the warehouses where they have been starved for talent. That's right. Um, Absolutely. It was yeah. mostly warehouse yeah. people. Yeah. 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 I think this was the true. And, with and so the, the. Lots of places. Yeah. And so you're, it sounds to me like you're seeing that as a, as a trend globally. And are you thinking that's an, an indicator that whether we're already in a recession or whether there's a recession coming a long time from now or whether a recession is just about here, that seems to be a pretty powerful indicator when, when employers start to slow down hiring at that kind of scale. Yeah, I think, I think it would be premature to say that there's really been a recessionary scale down in hiring. I think what we're seeing is a reconfiguring of the job market based on demand-consumer demand, mostly pandemic-driven. So I think what's happening is a lot of what we're seeing is, uh, there's two things. One is there are the results of COVID and the things that companies did to cope with COVID, hiring lots of delivery workers, Amazon hiring tons of people because everybody had their surplus checks and uh, not just in America, but in other countries as well. And we're buying all kinds of stuff. And now that's slowed way down. So uh, that's a readjusting to meet that market. I think the other part of it is the, um, the startup industry, I think, was vastly over, overhyped, I guess. We had a little bit of 1999, 2000, for those old enough to remember the dot-com boom or bust uh, in the year 2000. Uh, and uh, you know, it was a lot of money flowing around, lots of money. And companies were getting millions and millions of dollars with, with very little idea of what they were going to do with it, actually. And in many cases, seven or eight uh, copycat companies all had lots of money. And you know, only one is going to make it, or maybe two. So we're seeing a readjustment in that market as well. So I think what's going on with hiring is it's just reached a more normal or beginning to reach a more normal place, you know, where hiring is still going on. I'm not, I'm not ready to say we're in a recession yet. I'm not an economist. I don't know. But I don't think we're quite at that level. I mean, the job market is still very strong. The number of job openings is at record levels still. Uh, and that's true pretty much everywhere in the world right now. But it's, re it's readjusting. So there's going to be a lot of people in those startup industries and in the, the high-volume uh, industries that were distributing goods and services. They're going to feel impact a lot. But I don't think it's really affecting uh, manufacturing. I think manufacturing is still trying to hire more people. There's lots of job openings in, in factories right now. Uh, Intel is still hiring people. So, I mean, these companies are still in, in hire mode. Um, so it's mainly the service and distribution industries uh, and some of the high-tech startups. I had a conversation, I think it was just last week, with a pretty big employer who basically said, yeah, you know, we really have not been trying to hire people for the last year because we just knew it was a waste of time and money. But now that talent is available. They were talking specifically about electrical engineers, software developers, et cetera, that they just, they couldn't 
justify going out and hiring um, a pretty junior full stack developer for $250,000, but that's what they felt that they needed to do six months ago, where now some rationality has has returned. Those those folks are still well-paid, um, and we have some of them, and they definitely earn their paychecks. <laughs> but uh, but there comes a point where you just say, it doesn't make economic sense to, to have exactly. that person. And I remember when you mentioned earlier, 99-2000, I remember there was a there's a company at that point that we worked with that just said, you know, we're, we have this huge understaffing problem. We need to hire, I don't know what it was, 10, 20 people, but we're not even advertising because we're going to spend money on advertising and it's not going to lead to applications. And if we don't get applications, we're not going to hire people. So why spend the money? And they were right. right. Yeah. Um, just, just because you have the need doesn't mean that you're actually going to go out and try to hire people. So I think there was some overhiring that was actually taking place. Uh, to your point earlier, just it's so hard to find these people. If I find two of them, I'll hire them both even though I'm not even sure what I'm going to do with both of them, right? Uh, so there's a little bit of overhired Google. Others have out, you know, Google just this week, the CEO announced that, you know, while we're not doing layoffs, we have to work more efficiently and we need greater productivity from our employees, which is basically saying that we hired too many people who aren't busy enough, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, you know, and I think we also have got to factor in a little bit the power of automation. And and automation in Amazon's case and the warehouse cases and so forth, robotic is playing a role. And they don't like to admit that, and they're not really talking about that. But they've made several major acquisitions in the last year of robotic companies, and uh, that's all designed to automate the warehouse. So ultimately, they're going to be reducing their hiring because of that. And I think even. In software development and programming, there's a lot more automation and AI playing a role than we really appreciate right now, which, and part of that was driven by the scarcity of talent. And, you know, when you can't find talent, then you start focusing on technology, right? And saying, maybe the technology can replace people. And so maybe some junior level people, mid-level people, uh, ordinary like programmers, are already being automated out of their jobs. So there's a big, there's a big shift going on everywhere. And in, in every industry I see, there's a realignment of skills with needs, with where they're going, uh, more what I'd call right-sizing. Uh, and I think we've had a lot of hypersizing, if you want to coin a word, um, for the last couple of years, out of fear of the talent shortage. Uh, in the pandemic, uh, people had lots of money, so why not hire? Uh, and I'm not going to lay anybody off during the pandemic kind of a thing. Uh, so lots of things are just shifting mentally, psychologically, uh, automation. There's a lot, a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. And I guess, I, I guess a word that came to my mind is hoarding, uh, that there, there was some hoarding going on at talent, that there wasn't, the organization didn't need all of it, but they made a pretty rational decision that, like you say, it, we don't need both of these people, but we better hire both because there's a good chance one of them will quit or we'll find out that one of them is just not well qualified, not well suited to the role. There's also, um, and you haven't mentioned it directly, but part of the upheaval that that I, I would think you would agree with is just the whole distributed workforce. Not necessarily remote. A lot of companies opening up offices overseas to take advantage of 
lower labor rates, better talent pools, et cetera, um, or just the remote work. You know, you see Airbnb basically saying, you want to work in our office? Great. You want to work in rural Wyoming? Great. If you get the work done, we really don't care where you get it done uh, to an extent, right? You can't, you can't go to North Korea and, and expect them to send you a paycheck, um, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise pretty much. Okay. Um, but pretty much you're right. And I think it's really interesting. There's been a lot of talk recently in the financial press about, you know, I'd probably say 50% of CEOs hate the idea of remote work, right? They really don't like that. And, and they're doing everything in their power to encourage, coerce, whatever people back to the, back to the physical <laughs> workplace. And I think the fear of a recession, I hate to say this, but I think a lot of it may, some of it may be simply uh, these CEOs playing the fear card mm. to get people back to the office again. Uh, and, and maybe the press is somewhat aligned. I'm not saying this is the deliberate or conscious thing, all right? I don't yeah, think there's any conspiracy yeah. here. But I think it's just sort of a, uh, a syndrome. I don't know what you want to call it. But, you know, I'm a CEO. I don't like people working remotely. I've always hated the idea. Uh, and now I can say, well, there's a recession. I you know, Maybe we'll have to lay some people off. People are going to say, I better get back to the office because I don't want to be one of those people that are laid off, right? So yeah. I think there's a lot of that going on right now. Yeah, it, it, exactly that happened, uh, well, not directly to me, uh, but um, 187 years ago when I was graduating, I, I worked for what was then a Fortune 50 company, Honeywell. It was headquartered uh, where I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And at the time, we had something like 80,000 employees. And almost immediately after I got there, um, and, and please don't tease me about this being a causation, it was definitely correlation, but almost immediately there was like a 10 or 15% um, a tr- a, a cut across all departments. So no, it wasn't because Stephen went to work there that we had to lay off 10% of the people. It was, it was a coincidence, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, sure I, it was. yeah, exa- oh, there we go. The, I remember like asking my boss, it's like, you know, is this going to impact us? You know, and I was worried about my paycheck. I mean, as, as, as any person should be. And he's like, no, I've been here long enough. This happens every three or four years. And it's much easier for a manager with a department of, say, 12 people to let the lowest performing person go when they've been told they have to let somebody go. It's nothing personal. Kevin, you're great. You do a great job. I wish we could keep you, but there's the door. Don't slam it on your way out. And it let the less courageous managers um, make the decisions that they really should have made probably six months before. And uh, so some of these... Some of the right sizing is due to that. Um, Well, Kevin, before we leave off, for listeners who want to get in touch with you, um, learn more about the Institute, where should they go? Uh, You can go to futureoftalent.org website, or you can send me an email at kwheeler at futureoftalent.org. Great. And it's Wheeler, W-H-E-E-L-E-R. That's correct. Cool. I got that right. So, hey, we all all do one thing, right? We all do one thing right most days. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the High Volume Hiring Podcast. This is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and College Recruiter. Please subscribe for free on your favorite app. Review it. Five stars are always nice. 
and recommend it to a couple of people you know who want to learn more about how to hire the best people at scale. Special thanks to our producer and engineer, Ian Douglas. I'm your host, Stephen Rothberg of Job Search Site College Recruiter. Each year, we help more than 7 million candidates find great new jobs. Our customers are primarily Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, and other employers who hire at scale and advertise their jobs with us. You can reach me at Stephen at collegerecruiter.com. Cheers. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.